This podcast is part of the Frederick Podcast Network. Learn more at listenfrederick.com. Welcome to season three of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve. The biggest, most fun podcast in the galaxy. This is the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, season three. It's the summer of 1964. A kid of seven years has been has seen the preview of a new sci-fi movie on TV, and he goes to his mom and dad and says, can we go see it, please? And what happens? His sister says that she wants to see the unsinkable Molly Brown. Guess which movie we saw? It was years later that I was able to see Robinson Crusoe on Mars on TV, edited, not on the widescreen, but in black and white, since that's the TV we own. It wasn't until decades later I got to see it in the theater at a retrospective at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, same place they uh, made Star Wars. It was wonderful, but why was a film so important to my development of a real appreciation of sci-fi? I guess it starts with the story of one man, surviving on the planet Mars. However, it was the early 1960s and sci-fi movies and our lack of knowledge of the angry red planet caused some of the facts in the film not to be correct. Let's flash forward to 2015 and out comes The Martian, the story of one man's survival on the planet Mars. A remake? No, not at all. This movie was based on the 2011 book of the same name that used up-to-date science to tell the same story. How one man could survive on the planet Mars all by himself. What we have to do here is to compare the two films, their differences, their comparisons. Not decide which is the better film, but to examine how, with over 50 years of research into Mars, you can improve on a simple story. As always, I'm accompanied by the very smart members of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, and they are, in alphabetical order, I might say. Hi, I'm Adina Mignona. And I'm Brian Donahue. Greetings from Northeast Ohio. And I'm Christian Fox. Greetings from Tirana, as some people say. I don't say that. Is that like Piranha with Tirana? <laughs> Tirana. Exactly. Toronto the Piranha. That's what we say. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Is that true? Okay, it's not no, true. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I am your host for tonight's episode, Steve Merkin. So, what we're recording, since we are recording after the start of 2003, excuse me, 2023, <laughs> oh, 20 years we're, back. We're in some kind of time loop, I think. Exactly. Right um, I don't want it to be 2003 again. That no, was not a that great was, year. No, no. <laughs> Um, so we want to wish all our listeners the best 2023 possible, <laughs> and I am hoping that this is the year of the big sci-fi podcast. Yes. Now, with further, without further ado, let us go to Mars. Yes. I love and Mars. And what we're here to discuss, I've got some questions that I wrote up and I posed to our gallant crew, and... Looking at both films, I, I I hope you've you've all watched both movies, which I believe mm. you have. I have myself, and uh, let's start off by um, let's compare the two films in an attempt to show the loneliness of a maroon person in a faraway world. And um, 
let's go with Adina first. Well, what did how did you think that the two films portrayed that storyline? So as someone who thinks a lot about going to, you know, be on Mars and, and not me personally, but working in the aerospace industry where that's what we're working towards, you know, the next decade or two. Um, that's not, I mean, that's not my main focus, you know, because obviously they both got to where they were by accidents, you know, they weren't intended to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm more focused on the fact that, you know, their, their thoughts of, you know, what do they have? Can they survive? And all those things. And to me, the whole loneliness is just, it's just a secondary, they got to suck it up and deal with it. As opposed to if someone were planned, hey, you're going on a mission, you're going to be alone for six months. So we got to make sure that you're going to mentally be able to handle it. And, you know, what NASA and folks do today is when they put crews together for the International Space Station, you put three or four people together for six months, again, they have to psychologically be able to handle it and and deal. So I, I felt that that was like, weird that that was your first question like why would Mm. why is that the thing that you went to (laughs) i i guess that's that was the thing when i saw the movie the first time as a kid Mm -hmm. that's what affected me the most really Mm. yeah especially the scene in the film where he nearly poisons himself on martian food and he has the visit of his dead partner yeah and he's like and that's Thank you. And that's when he get, picks up the microphone and he says, you know, you guys, I know I was going to be in a chamber and I know I was taught how to prepare myself for being alone in space if it happened. But knowing I knew I was going to come out of that. Now mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to, you know, go home again. And yeah. that just affected me again. I was, just, you know. Right, right. You know, it, very little, you know, young kid, 12 years old or so when mm-hmm. I finally saw it. And that's really that gets me. And even to this day, it's still that the way he the way he had to act that out is what mm-hmm. came out in that. See, what I got from that line, you know, was not again the I guess the the point of the loneliness, but to, for for me, it was like really bringing home the no matter how much we train, no matter how much we train, test, there is no substitute really at the end of the day for doing the real thing, which is why when we look at the missions that are happening today, the Artemis one, you know, people are like, well, we, we went to the moon. This is easy. We can do this. It's like, no, no, we're, we've got a whole different, you know, set of mission objectives. And yeah, we got to kind of like test each step of the way to make sure it works because, you know, as much as you test that spacecraft, so the Orion spacecraft is a capsule that comes back to earth. As much as you test it in a chamber, there is no substitute for plowing that thing through the atmosphere to see if it survives. Like there's yeah. no substitute. So that's what hit me when he said that line, not the mm-hmm. poignant loneliness bit but more like the Mm. yep he 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 nailed it like on the whole difference between testing and real stuff (laughs) okay right interesting and what do you think brian for for me i was struck on in both films by the fact that they are totally alone and how they kind of cope with that and i think you know in uh, Robinson Crusoe uh, on Mars, I think that that is, we get a much more kind of stereotypical approach to what that loneliness might look like. Mm-hmm. But I, I know, Steve, I mean, just your comment about this affecting you as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I probably would have, I don't remember ever seeing this film before. I think I watched it for the first time for this podcast. And Mm -hmm. as a kid, that would have affected me too. Honestly, that would have been something like, oh my gosh, he's all alone. You know, and as a kid, you're thinking about that from the point of view um, of, you know, you have your mom and dad who you think are going to live forever. You have your brothers and sisters, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a real concept if you're fortunate and blessed enough to where you you don't know what loneliness true loneliness really is so i i think i think while i prefer um the martians version of this scenario mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh i think that for the time as you said how they handled this was probably i mean even in the trailer it says you know things you've never seen before or something like that you know yeah. to that effect um mm-hmm. things never seen on the big screen so it was it was interesting in that in that part. I think for the time they did probably a decent job of of going over that. Chris, I okay. So I I'm very torn on it because I like the fact that um, Robinson Crusoe they actually had that conversation or he makes that comment about it because I felt like man there wasn't really a discussion in the Martian about okay the loneliness at least i don't i watched it recently like two or three days ago and i don't remember there being a discussion and i like the fact that the other one they actually made a comment about it and identified it um but then there's like, two things that sort of stuck with me one like this idea that having to be in an isolation chamber for for two months two months as part of your training is horrifying to me like i don't know if that's i don't think that's a real thing but it just seemed like that's that's pretty like this is the stuff I worry about when I like when I'm watching a show and it's like oh this person has is you know sentenced to life in prison and then they go into isolation it's like well I know they're bad guys but like whoa that's gotta really mess you up um, and then as for both of the films and this we'll maybe get into it later but I would have liked to have seen like maybe a little bit of an epilogue as to how each character dealt with being back. Like I know we get at the very end of the Martian, we get the scene where he's in um, where he's teaching the class and it seems like he's fine, but I would have loved to see like, Oh, how was he adjusting to life? Like I was watching it with my girl, uh, girlfriend and she made the comment like, well, how does he react to different noises? The fact that now mm-hmm. when he's back on earth, he has to interact with people and make small talk and do all these things that he hadn't, he didn't have to do for quite a while. And even though he misses people, how does that affect him? So I was just, I would have liked a little bit more of, Hey, how do you actually cope having survived that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question. Did any of you read the book, the, the book, the Martian that the I movie did. was based on? I no. did. No, yeah, I did. That, that's on my list. So it's on my list. Too. So one of the things to know is, you know, he so I read the book a few months mm-hmm. before the movie came out. So I, I read it knowing the movie was going to come out. And I remember one of the, like the big things, like as I'm reading the book, I'm like, holy crud. What detail are they going to be leaving out when they make the movie? Because the book was like so chocked because he was on Mars, like in the book, he's on Mars for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not alone alone in the sense at some point he's able to make contact and 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 that was the thing is i think it was around the time that he started doing that in the book that i realized like oh my god there's going to be so much detail that they do not put in the movie and i think when he starts what he um does and so here's my little confession while i've seen the movie i wanted to go rewatch it this last week and i i didn't (laughs) so I think I am a little confused with like which details were not like 
were not because I was able because I have the book on my phone. So I was able mm-hmm. to like look up the book. So um, I can't remember if some of these things were in the movie or not. Mm-hmm. But okay. in the book, what he does is he actually goes and recovers Pathfinder. That's right. And, and that's then a- he uses Pathfinder as a method to communicate back to Earth. And so mm-hmm. he actually, once he does that, he does have a lot of back and forth communication. So while Correct. he's alone, but now in the moment leading up to when he first does that, that's when he has his like, oh my God, I've been alone. And he cries and he's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of yeah. like has that thing. But then after that, he's not, it's not as lonely as I'll yeah. get out anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, and that oh, happened like three. I'm, I'm, I actually brought the book up on my phone right now just to make sure I, I get this right. But that happened on uh, a log entry, Soul 97. So that's like, you know, um, four months or so, you know, four months or so into the mission is when he. So he's only like alone, alone for four months. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm going to say, which yeah. is not. It's not good, but it's not like being alone for 10 years. <laughs> Correct. Chris. Right. But I would say, yeah, even though he's not actually alone for like, cause in, yeah, the movie, he makes contact with Earth through Pathfinder and they're able to eventually set like actually type messages back and mm-hmm. forth, which I think is great. I'm always that's going to help with the loneliness, but it still doesn't replace like just talking to someone when he's mm. just by himself or having a conversation. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, because well, a lot of the times, the the back and forth things are about like, oh, here's what you need to be doing right now. No. And it's him like, well, go F yourself. Well, <laughs> um, I'm going to do it my way. So it's just like they're they. I would just love to see how does he cope with being back where he's surrounded by people, and all these people are probably going to want to ask him about um about his time on Mars. And it's yeah. like you know, Trek actors don't like to always be asked about Star Trek, and so I can only imagine <laughs> if that's one of his most. I don't know if it's tra- traumatic, but I mean, at some point he might be like, I don't want to keep reliving this. Yeah. Um, well, so there's I, I don't. Know. Difference between it, I feel like a Trek actor and an astronaut, because um, oh, well, no, again, these I, days, yeah, I days mean, astronauts yeah. kind of know what they're getting into. But like yeah. Neil Armstrong did not like any of the publicity or attention or like to speak or no. any of that stuff. He really shunned like all of that for most of his life. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm yeah. not saying that like tre- a yeah. Trek actor is similar in the sense that mm-hmm. they're doing similar things. I mean, like in the sense that they're known for one specific thing and everybody mm-hmm. wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then in this case, right. it's like, no, this is actually a really hard thing. When I was it in the like, I thought it was four years for some reason, but I was losing track of the the amount of time. So was it two years in the movie so, as well that you were alone? I, I don't know. Nine hundred nine hundred souls. So it was almost three years, I believe. Three years. Because at the end of the the movie, at the end when he gets on, it's like Sol 900 and something. I have Mm -hmm. those notes put aside. But it was, yeah, he was there for almost three years. Another film that is interesting to contrast with these two films is Passengers. Mm -hmm. And Chris Pratt's, um, when he wakes up prematurely on the flight and he goes through... Well, and of course, there's some comedic value added in, in some of the things and actions mm-hmm. he takes, but the fact that he gets so desperate, he actually wakes up Jennifer Lawrence's character and risks, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's talking to a robotic bartender, you know, it's mm-hmm. a fantastic character. I loved, I loved that in the film um, and all the stuff. You know, it's it's interesting. The, the yeah, thing no, of a... loneliness, mm-hmm. I think... I think outer space in the limits of outer space um, just it is a perfect setting. If you want to talk about what loneliness might feel like, I think mm-hmm. science fiction offers some great mm-hmm. possibilities. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, no, th- those were all very good points. And, and, and again, 
for me, it was, you know, when he's, the only thing he has as a companion is the, the monkey Mona. And he just says, if you could just say four words. Right. Yeah. I'd be happy. Or when he's at the pool of when he's in this little grotto and he hears his echo and he, and he finally says, Mr. Echo, go to hell because right, right. he can't even, that's all he's got for another voice. And that's all he wants. See, so. Are are we going to talk about things that we, we thought were silly or weird? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. Can no, I, hold, no, no, I, I got a comment, but I want to no, hold it here, off for that. The next, the next question we have is, Compare the way that the main characters were able to survive. How was the, he able to produce food, obtain water, breathable air, avoid the harsh environment, and was it believable? Can or I go first? Fantasy, please. Yeah, go I should ahead, go. Then. I should go last because I'm okay. going to bring in the. Okay. Oh yeah, please do. No, go <laughs> so ahead. I'll be last. Gonna, yeah. So, so I would like to go first because go in the case of the Martian, it seems like there is some logic and some thought, and he does. He uses his smarts, you know, to get to move forward a little bit. There are circumstances certainly here and there, but in Robinson Crusoe, the poor sap, basically, he falls into a pit and voila, there's water. That's where the monkey's been going and why the monkey doesn't, you know, the monkey somehow doesn't need oxygen and water. You know, I'm trying to figure it out. He's the key to life on living on Mars and he falls into a pit and voila, there's water. He collapses and faints and falls next to the rocks that he's burning and realizes they're giving out oxygen. You know, um, throughout the whole film, every time to to develop the plot and what he does to survive is mm-hmm. to- almost always out of his control. It's an accident. And so that was that was humorous. You know, they used a bit of Oh, what's going to happen? You know, a little bit of momentary drama to push the storyline forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's, it's, this is, this is kind of a charming, quirky, you know, early sci-fi film. Uh, mm-hmm. So we give, we let it, you know, we, we snicker at it and ha- still have fun watching it. But, and, and that's, that's the major difference is that mm-hmm. I think it's all, I mean, the monkey finds food before the human does. So, um, yeah, there you go. You got your excellent points, Chris. Go ahead. What do you? What were your thoughts? Ooh, I I don't know if I have anything different to say to that, but I think it's the same thing. Where at least with with Mark, you get like um, he's doing all this science. He's using all these tools that he already has. He's sort of explaining it. It seems like not being a scientist. It seems like okay, I could see how that works. My impression of uh, whether that's possible is it's entirely possible. You just have to make sure everything works perfectly and mm. things can't go wrong, which they and, work perfectly for the most part until they go wrong for plot. So I'd be like, I think that's believable. Sorry, believable. But then, yeah, the whole, well, he just falls into a pit and finds water. Uh, that's a little bit much. And mm-hmm. then the atmosphere. <laughs> and thing, he I'm just like, drinks so it. He, can... he doesn't do any tests on mm. it. He just, yeah. he's laying there face down in it. Practically. He just goes and just pours it into his mouth. Like, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, but then the, the run your skin. Oxygen. I was wondering why he was opening up his thing so much. Just so like, okay, he's he he can absorb a little bit. I'm like, that's not true, but right. I'll buy at least they're establishing that rule. And then I'm like, okay, this is a cool concept that he has to keep waking himself up every hour so he doesn't suffocate. Brilliant idea. But then I'm like, okay, that's gonna there's gonna be a crucial moment where that plays a part, and it doesn't. And then eventually he just gets the oxygen pills. Mm-hmm. Or whatever they are. That he, That's I, right. like, I appreciate that they explain 
how they are they sort of explained by saying somehow it does it oxygenates oxygenates my blood or whatever he says it create <laughs> it creates the oxygen right in the bloodstream yeah. it's something mm-hmm. like that yeah yeah was- but i i just it's like okay fine it's 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 more like in some ways i gotta do it i gotta compare it like it reminds me of trek where they'll just say well somehow this thing is happening they don't always explain whereas the martian felt like more like a macgyver or um mm-hmm. yeah, i'm only, I'm only mm-hmm. comparing the the 2015 <laughs> or whenever that one came out macgyver because i haven't actually seen the original want to do that um or this show called scorpion where it's basically like a bunch of geniuses and they're all using this crazy science to do whatever they do mm-hmm. so i like the fact that it feels more realistic like hey we're actually basing this on something as opposed I, to well we just happen to have this technology that gives you oxygen pills i used or, to live for three shows <laughs> okay not really i had a bunch of other stuff yeah. to live for too as a as a mm-hmm. child but there were three shows on mm-hmm. television and there were two days. There were Saturday night, which you probably guessed is Star Trek, okay? Mm-hmm. And then Very Thursday good. night, which had the Cosby show. And then after a while, it had a, I think it was called Different Strokes. It was the yep. follow-up to oh, that show where they all went Dill. to school, mm-hmm. college. Loved different Strokes. And then, tell her about and then MacGyver came on after that, the original MacGyver. That Thursday night was yeah. a dream for me for television. Mm-hmm. I lived for MacGyver, the original. I- I can't find it. I need to. I need to figure out where yeah. to find that in the A team. I'm and okay. uh, you know what? Uh, it's either Amazon or Paramount Plus. Oh, okay. I've seen it recently. I think you mm-hmm. can watch the whole MacGyver catalog and no. team on one of those two. I think. Very good. I'll have to look now. Anyway, Dean, back to, you, back said, to, you want to go. Uh, you want to go. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, on this one. On this one. Well. So, because this is where I think we have to start to pick apart the difference in a, a movie about Mars produced in 1964 versus mm-hmm. today, or clo- close close enough to today. You know, in some ways, in 1964, they had the luxury of not really knowing much about the surface of the planet. And and when I say they didn't know much, I actually went back this week to Google um, to re- make sure I remembered the exact dates of the early Mars missions and when they happened in time with this movie. The first Mars flyby didn't happen until the year after this movie came out. I'll be darned. So when I say that they didn't know much about, the, about Mars or the atmosphere or the surface, really, like they didn't know the composition, they didn't know the pressure, you know, all these things that and so so there was a flyby in in 1965, the first lander that could really do and and the flyby still didn't even really get the details of the atmosphere or the surface. It wasn't until the first lander in 1975, more than a decade oh. after this movie came out, that we started to really know what it was. So in 1964, I think people had the, I'm going to call it luxury of imagining, yes, it was possible. Maybe it was possible to survive on the surface of Mars without a spacesuit, you know, and, and, you know, possibly with some challenges. Now that Mm -hmm. doesn't excuse things like, yes, they should, you know, tested the water before drinking it, you know, not assuming it's water, you know, all all those kinds of things. Although Mm -hmm. I feel like the monkey is the test. You know, the, the monkey is your canary, you know, like, oh, what, good point. Good you know, point. so, mm-hmm. so I think there's, there's kind of that test, but yeah. So today we know that you cannot 
humans are not going to be able to survive on Mars without some kind of suit. And it's more because of the pressure and temperature than anything else. Mm-hmm. We can't, the, the pressure is too low and the temperature most of the time is too cold. Mm-hmm. And, but that again, but people really didn't know in 1964 that that was yeah. necessarily the case. So, I, so when I think about it that way. It was way, still hilarious though, how often he was put and pulling his mask but up. And what down. else is he going to do? You know, <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. If I think about what we knew at the mm-hmm. time, what else was he going to do? So in some ways it was actually, it was not that mm-hmm. Bad. It was really not that bad. You're right. Um, I guess. I guess I'm imposing yeah. what we know now. Yes, mm-hmm. and how we do it things ridiculous now. that yeah. he would mm-hmm. ever consider pulling his mask up. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have a. He didn't really have a choice now. And then the other interesting thing is because when I saw the oxygen pills, you know, that came from it was alien technology. I was like, that's interesting because you know we we look at science fiction as as things that like help you know when we look at star trek right there's all these things that we say hey you know inspired by star trek we're thinking about can we do matter transporter inspired by star trek can we do warp drive and and some of the medical stuff and i was like ha huh, i wonder if that whole concept of can you just inject oxygen right into your bloodstream can that like mm-hmm. be a thing and i did i googled that too and that's sort of a thing um there is now the couple of things that I've seen, it's not like a pill or anything. It's actually more like a blood transfusion where you, they outside of the body oxygenate the blood and then it goes in. And it is for patients that have something is like their lungs or something's wrong with their lungs or they can't physically breathe. So I feel like that oxygen pill thing is not a terrible idea at all. The only thing I wonder, and I wish there's a, and I'm not a biologist. So this is re- where I, I really don't. And I wish there was a biologist who would like, contact us and tell us about this. Okay. So let's say your blood has, it's getting the oxygen it needs, whatever source it's an injection, it's a pill, whatever that, that feeling to breathe, you know, like it's kind of automatic of taking in air, taking, you know, like, you know, can you, what happens, you know, what happens there? Like, Mm -hmm. You know, because and the Martian atmosphere is mostly carbon dioxide, which really for our body is is basically inert. We can take in carbon dioxide. The only problem is 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 this the carbon dioxide pushing out enough oxygen? You know, like is it preventing us from getting oxygen? That's the problem we have here, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on Earth. But if you're if you have enough oxygen, then like maybe it's fine. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, and I wish someone. I, I want to. I, I am curious to know more, and I, I want someone who knows more to. If you're a biologist, <laughs> contact us at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast <laughs> at gmail dot com, yeah. and uh, attention Adina on that email, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll make. Maybe we'll follow yeah. up uh, mm-hmm. with the at another time with your name and where you work and all that good stuff. So you never. So know. this is this is what I wrote about my own question. I said um, in the Martian. Watney says, I'm going to have to science the shit out of this. And that's <laughs> right. what he does. And he does that. But he had all the resources at the station, which mm-hmm. provide him with all the hardware and all the elements that he needed to survive with. If they didn't have the potatoes stored away for Thanksgiving dinner, he wouldn't have potatoes mm-hmm. to grow with, right? And he was a botanist, so it gave him that ability as a botanist, knowing what he had needed to be able to grow plants. But he also had all the resources of science, because, again, this story is taking place in the future from our date. The technology there is not what we have right now, the ability to do So this is already, you're assuming that he's got 
everything in the world he needs to get a hold of to be able to survive. Now, going to the Robinson Crusoe on Mars, Adina, you're absolutely right. You have to look it through the filter of 1963 when the script was written, or, you know, 62 when the script was written, that they had to come up with some ways for him to survive because he had to get to the end of the story. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to be burnable rocks that produce oxygen, fine. If he's going to go and fall through a crevice and, and not die and then find water, Fine. And if he's going to eat plants that we know do not grow on Mars. Look like little sausages. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Fine. I mean, I wrote right here, I said, you know, ha, about the, 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 but these all were done to give the move the story to the end. Mm -hmm. And that's where really where, you know, if the ends justify the means, okay, that's fine. But the point was, is that, you know, the Martian was real. Well, and, and you're, that's the, the great thing about it. Well, you know, and, and you're right in pointing out the different setups of the two the two mm -hmm. movies and how that that's kind of also key. You know, the setup in The Martian is the plan was for this crew to go live there for a while. So the supplies were there. Where in Robinson Crusoe on Mars, that was not the plan. So there were no supplies. So, yes, yeah. something else had to be done so he could survive. Right. So there could be a story in a movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, so now to the next question or the next point I brought up is what about companionship of the secondary characters? How did they play in the main character's ability to fight off loneliness and to survive until they, he, they were rescued? And when I went to go see it at the big screen at the Egyptian, the actor who played Friday from Robinson Crusoe, Victor Ludlin, was there. And it was a true pleasure to, to meet him. And he is actually one of the guys who's keeping the flame going of of su supplying dvds and vhs mm. tapes of the movie uh, because it was slipping into total obscurity at that time so um on that basis what you know how did the secondary characters affect you know the storyline well the um how do i want to say this elvish elvis slash indian looking slave mm -hmm. <laughs> he looked like elvis in different shots yeah um, i should see that uh you know typical for the time period and, and of course very cost effective these aliens had no makeup you know they look just like us you know very mm -hmm. cost effective i'm sure for the budget um and same with star trek right and so <laughs> yeah. i just yeah uh that and the monkey was cute on mm -hmm. Robinson Crusoe, you know, um, and probably drew in a lot of kids, you know, um, mm -hmm. to that film. But I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like the, it, in, in Robinson Crusoe, it was, I, I just, I almost would have been okay if they didn't bring in the slave aliens and the aliens. It was, to me, that was kind of like very, cheesy that they went that way with the story even though mm -hmm. of course they went that way with the story you know um the spec the spectacle and the you know all that stuff and mm -hmm. the alien ships were good it was neat how they zoomed mm -hmm. in real fast that was kind of i wasn't expecting that a lot of like times that. in old sci-fi films they're ufo saucers hovering and kind of coming in they really had them zoom in and zoom out real fast come which in and I out thought, of hyperspace <laughs> yeah i thought that was different and creative mm -hmm. um but i just for me i would have been fine if he he would have ended up never meeting the 
slave labor and then there actors. wouldn't have been like anyone else in the movie because you know like in in the martian at least we have mission control you know we have all the people back on earth yeah. so we see that we see that mm. so we as a viewer are getting these other perspectives and and such um i feel like if you know i was actually i'll, I'll be honest having a hard time watching robinson crusoe on mars until we met Friday, because okay, now there can something can happen, and there's another character. Uh, up until mm. then, I was having a really hard time actually getting into the movie. Mm-hmm. Now that yeah, said, slow. I didn't think you know we talk about films that are slow. Two thousand one yeah. Space Odyssey, which we're going to cover hopefully sometime weeks, this season yeah. or not. You know, so I hope. Um, so. But then, then we've we've talked about our beloved Star Trek in the motion picture. This mm-hmm. film is slower than the motion picture. Yeah, I felt, I... and mm-hmm. so. And maybe it's and honestly, it was it had nothing to do. I thought the effects were fine for the t- for its time. It actually, I, felt like a Star Trek episode. It, it felt I, like right. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, some of some of the backgrounds reminded me of classic Trek. The totally redded red mm-hmm. atmosphere behind the mountains. You know, um, right. That from that the point of view, there. I just for me that for me and I know I'm different. Adina, you know, we're all different, but I I would have been fine without the alien companionship in. I would have been fine with just the monkey in him mm-hmm. somehow either yeah. figuring out getting rescued at the end or just dealing with the fact that he's alone. I don't know. For me, it just, you know, those guys yeah. dressed up like Egyptians doing slave labor. Stargate. <laughs> this is, yeah, it was her Stargate. Stargate, felt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I definitely felt like I got Stargate vibes from, like Stargate the series vibes from, martian by like how much they were like okay we got to use some science here to do this thing but so talking about the slave like this is where i have to keep in mind that this is 1964 and i and it's hard to not go there because you got trek and there's a lot of sexism and stuff oh, that yeah. we kind yeah. of mm-hmm. where we grapple with as fans but then where i kind of got rubbed the wrong way is like that whole Hey, you're going to speak English mm. if even if I even if I have to sit on you for for months at a mm-hmm. time or something mm-hmm. because there was no attempt for him to learn the alien language. It was very much zero. Felt like, yeah, yeah. It felt oh, like it was his... completely, completely and utterly problematic. But having yeah. another character for the main character interact with was a relief after having nothing. You know, I, but I but know. yes, but the interaction yeah. was problematic because he's like, oh, you're a slave. OK, well, I'm the boss. It was almost like, well, now I'm going to be your master. It was yeah. that's how it came across. So, yeah, deeply problematic. But <laughs> I was still thankful to have another character in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mixed because I felt like I. Yes, there was a lot of slow parts <laughs> and I liked it more when he was at least doing a recording and um I found it not as obviously not as interesting as when Martian was doing it, but I also liked uh, that. I, I don't know if that survival tape was like something that was, that was based in real life, but I liked his interaction with that guy that I don't want to say he was useless, but he didn't seem like he's like, first you got to find water. Well, thanks for the tip, bud. Well, those, <laughs> <Right. like, laughs> okay. That, 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 that pack where he was recording and had in scientific, that was like the, energizer buddy bunny battery pack like that just kept going and going and going well, never yeah. ran he, out he, of have, he did have solar cells oh, on the, oh, on the inside that. The, yeah there's a there was a round disc and there was solar cells so he was charging okay. the batteries using solar light so, okay. yeah. so I, I, which I like, 1964 is pretty interesting that right, they right. that technology great point for him to so, recharge his battery 
Yeah, I liked all of that stuff. I liked the recordings, but the slave character, I just, I think I'm a bit different than Adina. I was, like, I was okay with there not being another character. And mm-hmm. then when he showed up, I knew there was going to be one because I saw it like, on the cover. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But then just the way he was treating him, I'm like, I would rather him just be interacting with the monkey than <laughs> than treating this guy like garbage. Who's like, and then what, what was the guy doing? He was building a, not a pool, but like... <laughs> He was building something. Yeah, I don't know what he's like, building. <laughs> you're, 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 a you're, bed. You're, Wasn't he building a bed or something for himself? Something. It's just like, the... oh, he yeah. was building it for himself, not for... I think the, so. I could character. be wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's where it threw me off. But I loved... I love. I always love Mission Control, but it, it was just always so cool to see them going back to Mission Control and dealing with the politics of, okay, well, we how do we handle this? Because that's a pretty big screw-up for NASA, even though, like... And like the uh, what, what was it? The president? That was his title, right? The uh, Dumb and Dumber newsroom. Was... Why can't I think of his name? Oh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff yeah, Daniels. The, the, was, he yeah, was the president. president yeah. of, NASA, of NASA. He was the head of NASA. So I like the fact that they had to deal with. Hey, how's that going to affect Tim? It's going to be a huge PR problem. Even mm-hmm. though nothing was, it wasn't anyone's fault. There was no way to avoid that. Um, so I love that whole political angle. Like, how do we how do we address this problem and um, and I thought the camaraderie was really good. And I love mm-hmm. just, again, I love mission control and seeing a bunch of really smart people looking at monitors and saying cool sounding things. Um, it's just dumb it down, <laughs> but I just, I always enjoy that. So I felt like the Martian, again, this is where you get to where it's hard when you're comparing a movie from 2015 to something from 1964, yeah. where just movies are made better and they're better at, Hey, let's have mm-hmm. more characters. We mm-hmm. can actually do that. Yeah. Um, overall, I think I liked the Martians approach where you had all the different characters and then mm-hmm. you just had Mark Watney saying things that it just feels like, hey, he's a cool guy. Like I, I, I'm trying to remember, this is a long tangent, but I remember when this movie came out and there was the trailers, I feel like, you know, Steve's comment about, I'm going to science the heck out of this. Mm-hmm. That was I remember when people saw that trailer and that was the line. And then people were like, we already want to go see it just because of how cool mm-hmm. Mark mm-hmm. Watney is. And mm-hmm. so all throughout all of his, um, his recordings and him making fun of disco and just all this stuff was all things you could root for. Like, you're like, we want to root for this guy because we like him. Whereas mm-hmm. the other character, I mean, he had likable moments, but it was still not on the same level. Um, so overall, I think Martian did it better, but again, it's hard because they're vastly different movies mm-hmm. have come a long way since 1964. Yeah. Right. So right. that the, even the movie poster from the Martian was, you know, bring, bring Watney home, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so it really built up this, you know, Hey, there, there's this hero that we have to save. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Steve, you had, you had mentioned the other day to, to us uh, in preparing for this to like, you know, have our kids or something, watch this. I was halfway through the movie at that time. And I was thinking to myself, there, there's no way, there's no way Frank is sitting through this. Really? <laughs> I can yeah. barely sit through this. There's no way. And then, yes. And then when we got to meeting Friday, mm-hmm. um, again, while I was, again, I was happy to have the interaction again, because it was problematic. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't even think I want him to see this. Now okay. I, I know Frank is smart enough to, you know, he would not, it, it'd be fine. But mm-hmm. I, I was like, yeah, no, this is not going to be yeah. for anyone else in my household right now. Okay. So, well, quick, go ahead, Chris. 
When did I'm trying to remember when did Forbidden Planet come out? Because I was like, that was the only other that show. was in the 50s, right? In the 50s, oh, yeah. that was in the 50s, yeah. Was, oh, yeah. I, know, I thought oh, it was yeah. 60s, but yeah, yeah. no, that was no, just that, that was like that's why the movie like, was so advanced for its time because mm-hmm. it was such a they carried a lot of subjects that were not normally handled in 1950s science fiction films. I, I will say. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish here. I just I, I felt like for me, like if I'm comparing those two movies, <laughs> I had much more fun with the Forbidden Planet, even though it was much earlier. Mm-hmm. Just because I guess the interactions there were more characters, I was, more yes. characters. I was <laughs> able to overlook a lot of the things. Because okay. I want to look at 64. I think what do I have that I like? I uh, we've got Trek. That's what I watch. So I'm used to how Trek does it in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Bond. I'm used to how they do it in the movies. But then something like. Again, Crusoe on Mars. It's like it. It just felt dated there's, in something that I wasn't. There is one character one. we're leaving out. That the, that? There was another character, and it was <laughs> Which Mars other? itself. Mars was the character, just like the Enterprise is a character. Mm-hmm. Mars. Interesting. Interesting. I, I don't overthink it, folks. I just kind of want to comment. What okay. I do. All right. All right. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm going to move along before Adina that. rebuts that. Okay. <laughs> but, I will, but again, you know, even though, you know, I, I will give the, the movie props in that whole for the time period and for what mm-hmm. we knew about Mars yeah. and what we where the current state of the art of space travel was at the time. I think this was handled really well in all those respects. This is so I can imagine being a kid or being someone at that time and yes, falling in love with this movie and possibly falling in love with space travel and science fiction and things mm-hmm. based on this movie. Because mm-hmm. I think I think this it, it did for the time do a great job in that area. But now yeah. again, now skip ahead to present time and we have The Martian, which is he did a great job of making it based on everything we know and the state of the art of where we are. Um, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's very similar to NASA's plans for what we're going to do when we get boots on the ground on Mars in a decade or, or more. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just some sign of the times. <laughs> well, and I, okay. I'm going to say a couple things, um, which is when you look at a film like gravity, how many actors was in gravity? You had basically three actors. Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, and the guy who plays her other astronaut who gets wiped out in space. Mm-hmm. She did a great job mm-hmm. playing. A, it was a tour de force, but they did this almost the exact same thing. Whereas in you know with with Robinson Crusoe, his dead partner appears out of nowhere. In Gravity, George Clooney's character climbs in the spaceship with her. And you're going, how is that possible? He died because it's a dream sequence. So that was, you know, that's dealing with how, yeah. dealing with how the character handled that. As far as asking you about if you're going to have your kids watch it or not, when this was finally on TCM, Elaine recorded back on VHS. This is the 1990s, early 90s. And so I had my daughter, Jenny, sit down. She was probably about six years old at the time. We watched it together, but we watched it about halfway into the film where they ended up in the, the after Friday and and uh, Kip become are starting to get together and communicate and all that. And we had to stop because it was late in her bedtime. And I put her in the bed and she looked at me and she says, Daddy, can we watch the rest of the movie? Tomorrow, please. I need to know: Do they survive? Do they get off Mars? What happens to Friday? <laughs> she was so excited about wondering what was going to happen because these characters 
became important to her. Mm-hmm. And right, so that's right. why I was wondering if your kids would feel the same way. But oh. it also, you know, Dina, you're right. Because of the where the kids are now and what they know, it would be like, nah, this is boring, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. Just it may not have the same effect. So anyway, moving on to another qu- question. But what you're about right how- about gravity though mm-hmm. that that was uh, interesting because yeah it, it's a similar you know the loneliness and the, mm-hmm. but i feel like but the time period of her yeah. thing is a short you know really short time period she, she's not up there for long and i yeah, think that's exactly. that's the difference there it's not something that's potentially going on for weeks or months right, or, or more right right no but for her more character was like how am i going to get home right but within like a day or so you know yes, not very not short, over yeah. yeah yeah it's not very long time so um you know, I could we can get into about it's about the hardware used in each film. Was it correct? Was it right? You know, I think we've already kind of touched on that quite a bit. In that 1964, the knowledge we had about Mars, as you explained, Adina, and the lack of really knowing anything about the pressure, the environment, what time, uh, what was the air quality on the planet, whatever. You know, so um, in the Fireballs. technology fireballs well that's again yes yeah the fire oh yeah no i i i've got, I've got my issues sword. i've got my issues on those as well cool. even from then so but that's uh, that's why i say it's, it was a luxury to be able to have that about something and sometimes it's almost disappointing when we learn the truth oh there's no there's no flowing water on mars there's no martians because there was a time like 150 or so years ago that it people thought that there were other just humans that just happened to live on mars like there are humans that live on other continents you know mm-hmm. and you know finding things out for real is almost a little bit of a disappointment and i feel like we're right now at this point in time where we have a current luxury of mm-hmm. imagining what's going on on like various exoplanets and in stuff and then right. someday we'll find out for real and, and maybe, you know and yeah. hopefully yeah. not be disappointed but so <laughs> can i ask a question this is what confused me sure the video camera thing where was the camera like how did he have was that on like the other part of the ship that crashed that he was able to yes. access it yes uh, i believe he, i believe he was able to retrieve that from from uh dan's you know his his lost partner because oh, okay. he went to his he went to his ship and scavenged out whatever he could get from it oh, um, okay but but the one thing about again the interesting thing about the martian is that he was lucky to have everything he needed and the most important thing he needed in that film was his rover <laughs> without the rover and i'm showing them a picture of my wooden model of the rover without the rover he doesn't survive he doesn't travel the distance from los angeles to chicago to get to the uh, aries 5 rocket so he can make his way home so, so i wouldn't uh, call it luck because what he had two rovers, one gets destroyed, and he's got the other one. Okay, so yes, okay, yes, th- yeah. that part is luck. But yeah. I mean, again, if you look at and and NASA has all this stuff online of their current plans for mm-hmm. going to the m- moon first, which is meant to be an analog for going to Mars, and a pressurized rover is in the plans and to, yep, to right. stage the rover there before people get there. So, like I said, I, you know, well, let's... and th- this is this is you know what we do these days is we have teams of people. Mm, Their job yeah. is to work out all the things, you know, like mm-hmm. all failure scenarios and all these things and 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 such like that. So I wouldn't say so a lot to me. A lot of what Mark went through, Mark Watney in, mm-hmm. in The Martian, um, not luck, but there was enough there and his training. You know, like 
the luck yeah, but... is that he didn't get killed outright to begin with. That was right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, if you're and... if you're comparing the two, mm-hmm. he's more lucky than the other gentleman from Robinson Crusoe. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Is he? I, I thought I think, he, I he was supposed to have that stuff there right. for him right. to survive. So that yeah. that to me is not luck. It's yeah. just a different mission. He had different. Mm-hmm. You know, it, his purpose was a different mission. Right. Mm-hmm. And even so, in that, though, there's, um, if if we're using the word luck, to, you know, often I mean I think they pointed out in, or am I thinking of something else that that often no I'm thinking of something else I watched on Netflix, um, about the satellite that um or the probe they sent to Saturn that was like on a 13 year mission, collecting data and they ended up wanting to crash it into Saturn. So they wouldn't have space debris on one of the moons or whatever. Um, can't remember. The Are you name talking of that. about Cassini? I mean, like Cass- the plan. Yes, yes. I mean, like that was so, also so was, it was partly to to um, investigate the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah get yes. data as it was going down to hopefully get more data mm-hmm. than they had in a long time for yeah. Um, but I just for for me, it's like they they pointed out in that um, little series that. Um, you know, anything and everything can go wrong at any point in time in mm-hmm. outer space. So like you said, Adina, you know, you test and test and test, but until it's actually out there, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the Martian, I mean, there, there are definitely hardships and things that didn't go his way. Um, so in that regard, even having all of those things, it still requires a little bit of luck or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, 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 I have to, to say happen. the greatest tool that he had for the entire mission was duct tape. No, absolutely. I don't like going anywhere without duct tape. I mean, so, it's like, was it's that the actually duct tape? In the world. Yeah. Or was it like a super, I don't know, I don't know what to call I, it, I, but like I, a NASA well, fight version the of it. Look, it looked like duct tape. So he That's what I thought too. Puts it on his face mask to close the, the crack in it. And then so when what he has to fill up the opening. What we're asking, Adina, is if you have access to some super strong duct tape, Mm-hmm. That only NASA gets. We would love some. Chris, yeah. So Chris, I don't. So the the concern. So you could, you know. So hook us up. <laughs> the concern with any Earthbound product in space is well, one of the concerns is outgassing. You know, if you if you expose it to vacuum, what's going to come off of it? And mm-hmm. I imagine oh, I, I don't actually know about you know for duct tape, but they we do currently use various tapes and adhesives on the outside of spacecraft that are exposed to vacuums, and they're special ones that aren't going to outgas. Now, um, n- now can that you, you say that, can I can I stop you for a second? Yeah, pronounce that word out out what outgassing outgassing. Yeah, so okay. think of it. I've never is heard like, that term. So think of it as your your new car smell. That is your new car giving off fumes. It's outgas. That's so okay. that's what we call it okay. outgassing. It's when all those fumes are coming off. So when you have, you know, any material meet vacuum, anything that can come off will come off. And that's not good mm-hmm. because that stuff that can come off is going somewhere. Where right. is it going? If you have like a camera, it might go onto the lens of your camera. So, you know, there's a so there's a whole bunch of bad things there. Now, so for something that's like inside like the space station, inside human rated stuff, you want to make sure that, you know, obviously it's not going to be bad for people, but it's not going to outcast like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that there might be duct tape on the space station. I don't know. And I'm going to find it. I now want to find out. Okay. But what I was going to ask, because I hadn't seen the movie recently, in the book, he does talk about duct tape. He does use break out the duct tape. And the quote in the book, 
and this is him. So the, the book is like him, uh, first person, him talking to his journal, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the quote in the book was, yes, of course, duct tape works in your vacuum. Duct tape works anywhere. Duct tape is magic and should be worshipped. Which is, <laughs> is that what he said in the movie or is something similar to that? No, I don't think he, I don't think he really just... says it at all in the film. Because mm-hmm. I remember watching the other day and I don't remember that conversation. But he just, he just has it. Like it's hanging on his spacesuit so that when he gets, when the, he blows out the, the front of the, the um, station and he's hurtled and he cracks his face shield. You know he's got it mm-hmm. all hanging on his on his hip, so he's been using it already, and it's yeah. is there, hand as yeah. ready as now. Then he has the a... surface of Mars isn't a vacuum; it's just a much thinner atmosphere. You know, less pressure than we have. So I could imagine you would use duct tape just out on the surface of Mars. I don't know, but now I want to. I, I I'm going to find out tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, because like the <laughs> then there was duct tape that he was using, or I thought it, it was shinier though. But when the when part of his what the I don't know what you call it, but the base, when that part blows out and his garden area blows out and he has to put a tarp over and then tape it up. Um that duct tape looked a lot shinier. So I thought, oh maybe that's like a so NASA. There is grade. a so there is the tape that we we do typically use on the, you know, on, on spacecraft. It's like a uh cap to, it's I call it I've always known it as capped on tape. And it's kind of like a, a shiny translucent dish tape. Um, if you saw the outside of a spacecraft, if you're familiar with looking at outside of spacecrafts, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not duct tape. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, <laughs> not, it's not, it, not something you get at the hardware store, folks. Right. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's not hardware. that. It's I don't think it's as adhesive. Like you put duct mm-hmm. tape on something. You are not pulling that off mm-hmm. where the Kapton tape. Yeah, you can pull that off. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, go ahead. Chris, you're going to say this is another yeah this is another question that's been bugging me okay well so when he when he's in the rover and he's like oh, i can't use my heater is he talking about the heater on his suit or a heater uh in the rover because i was wondering like why can't he just put the helmet on and do it that way instead of having to dig up um that petroleum yeah plutonium yeah, I was just wondering about that because I know there's probably an easy answer why he couldn't just put on the helmet, but I was just curious about that. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look up because I'm trying to remember what scene you're talking about. Well, remember once he gets in the rover, he t- mm-hmm. it's pressurized, so he takes off his helmet, so the rover itself would have its own had its own internal heating system. He remember he mentions that I can stretch the battery life twice. But if I have to run the heater, I'm going to cut it in half. Right. So, so, so the the system the the so you're saying why couldn't he just use the internal heating system within his own spacesuit? He would also well, then he would constantly be still under have a power problem. What, yeah. Whether oh, you're generating heat, problem? well, whether you're generating heat from your suit, you know, from the suit, or whether you're generating heat from a rover, you, you're generating it. So there's some power input. But the thing is, is typically in spacesuits. Again, I don't know about this on Mars, but typically in spacesuits, at least in, in space, space, um, the issue is more generating too much heat. It's really they have to get that heat out of the the spacesuit. You get too oh, hot okay. in their spacesuit. Okay. Um, but I gotta. Yeah, I, I would have to find that, that like part, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, oh, here. Well, here in the book, at least, he's talking about. Uh, he yeah. 
1500 watt heater is so warm, I'll have to tear the insulation out of the rover to keep it from getting too hot, which, yep, that's a, again, getting too hot is a big issue on a lot of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. And it was because of the plutonium, but the thing is he's, he's getting the, he's getting the thermonuclear generator to do other stuff. It is, he needs that. That's kind of his power source, but it gets oh. off a lot of heat. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. So I think that's what I think that's what you might be getting at. Okay. All right. Um, next thing I brought up was that each film had a story director directing it. Byron Haskin for Robinson Crusoe and Ridley Scott for uh, The Martian. And you know, I was looking at their history of the two different directors and you know, if you look at Ridley Scott, he directed Blade Runner and Alien and Prometheus of sci-fi films. So maybe maybe two out of three is pretty good. Whereas Brian Haskin, he directed War of the Worlds, mm. Conquest mm. of Space, From the Earth to the Moon, and two episodes of The Outer Limits, one being The Demon with the Glass Hand, which was written by Harlan Ellison. The problem that Haskin had making the movie was that the writer of it, his name was um, Ib Melchor, Melchor, he wanted it to be a monster movie. And Haskin fought him that he wanted to make it more based on science. So there was some compromise in the story, and you know, which is some of the problems in that one was the director wanted to go one writer direction the writer wanted to go another direction and so they had to do a little compromise and i think that's where the idea of the alien friday was you know they had to do that um why you know they compromise on some of the technology for the storyline and so on with that but really it's you know it's like you know that that's that is what happens in movie making there's always you know compromises whereas you know ridley scott I mean, this this guy is a great director. There's no question about it. And and the what the the stylized work that he did in Alien and the stylized work he did in Blade Runner, you can easily see went into making this type of a film, which was you know very technology driven. Any thoughts? I guess if if you you've got a writer and director that's at odds, who mm-hmm. wins? <laughs> <laughs> I would think because I would wonder like wouldn't the studio come in because I yeah. thought the studio would come in and say yeah. hey you know this is actually this what is we what want. we want so yeah. like, this is what we're paying for I'm paying right. the bills I want X I think and I that's... think I think it uh, in an ideal situation hopefully they're working together but at a certain point like is isn't the writer hands off once it's in the director's hands and they start filming like you know or was this a different situation where the there was more correlation in their work i i think what you said earlier what you said dina or what you said either one was that the movie studios probably were pushing things you know that because monster movies were still yeah. pretty big at that time you know the science fiction films you know, usually, I mean, if you ever saw the Angry Red Planet, I mean, that's just a monster movie on guys landing on Mars, mm-hmm. and not very well done. 
but that's what they were <laughs> expecting. So to try to get to more science driven, mm. then you really end up at where you want to talk about 2001, where it's really a science driven film. Because, so. yeah, it's mm -hmm. funny because you bring up the, like we're talking <laughs> about the studio and it seems like that's I always hear like it's usually not the writer, but it's usually that argument sounds like it's what you hear from a mm. studio. That's mm -hmm. where the studio should be like, no, we want a monster movie. And then you'd hear, oh, the director's like, no, no, I want this to be more science based. You don't usually hear the writer wants it to be more science based or monster movie ish. And you look at a and you look at a movie like The Martian, the book was written by one person. The screenplay was written by another, and you had the director. So <laughs> I wonder how much when Andy saw this film went, now I would have done it this way, or I would have written it this way, or I would have directed it this way. Or he, did he say, you know, getting it in within two and a half hours, they did a great job fitting it all in from all my book, all the high points into the movie, you know? And so that's, that's kind of an interesting thing as to how that really works. Well, I would Is love here, to get um, Andy Weir like here as a guest on the podcast and actually ask him because I've heard several podcast interviews with him and um, they, they actually they've been more recent. So they've been more about Project Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd love to ask that question is how much he was involved uh, or did he have any any review rights to the screenplay? Yeah. For so the Adina. Mm -hmm. You're an author and you you're yes. you've got a series of books. I'm an aspiring author and I've got one book that I'm pitching now and um by the way, everybody. And <laughs> it's actually Yay! in the hands of somebody right now. So um cool. uh but uh what would you want as as the cre original creator and these characters are your heart and soul, you poured hours and hours into creating them, developing them and you think about the the possibility of a film, um, which is a great, I would think, a great honor for any uh, mm -hmm. author to have someone say, hey, this is worthy of a film adaptation of. Mm -hmm. um, but how would you want a lot of say onto the final script as a part of your contract, let's say? Or yeah. would you... You know, would they show you enough money where you say, <laughs> this is wonderful, do what you will, you know, so, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I, I do, of course, daydream about this. Um, and instead of actually, so, and it, part of it depends on, well, what story of mine are they picking up? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let's say it is my main, my current main book series, uh, the, the Robot Galaxy series, with, you know, those books. So I actually picture that more as a TV series, as an animated TV series on Netflix. So okay. that's what I, I would like to you see. You really it. have dreamed of yeah. it. I have. You know exactly you're better on which series, I Streaming provider you want it especially, on. Especially now, I think yes. series is the way to go. Yeah. Like just how well, far series have come along. It's it's more, well, a lot of it has to do with the the universe building and mm. is this kind of just a one arc story versus is there more? And I think it's more like what I've built in the Robot Galaxy series lends itself more to it can be episodic television, hmm. you know, or yeah, you know, story arc through a season or whatever, and not just like one, two and a half, three hour film mm -hmm. or, you know, so one. So I, I'd like to, to, to see it as a TV series. Very and then two, I, I do want to have creative input, but depend, you know, like. But that's where I don't know, because I don't know what it would be possible to be offered. I don't know what it would be realistic right. to be involved. You know, um, I don't see myself as the actual 
script writer, even though I would actually love the opportunity to try maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, so I'd like to maybe do some, I don't know, but I would, I would love to have maybe the right to review or approve or something creative because, consultant yeah. or something like that Maybe. where mm-hmm. where you could but, have input and it you know they may or may not use your input but yeah they're asking you about the characters what did yeah. you, you know, but that's what, but be careful it, with that it is hard <laughs> to give up or that's the thing is it, it will be hard to give up the whole you know like the, the nice thing about being an indie author and the way i did it and the, one of the reasons I did it is so I didn't have to argue with anybody over the cover, the title, right. all these right. things. I, I didn't want to have to argue with anybody over that. And so, and I am over my own stuff, a bit of a control freak. So I just don't know, but I would love the yeah. opportunity to find out. So Netflix, please contact me. Yeah, yeah. I just been like, just be careful. I, I shouldn't say you don't want to get Roddenberry, but don't get Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Like, cause like don't become an executive consultant and yeah. be like, all right, the input's yeah. not there. Yeah. But okay. yeah, I, TV show. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> looking for Netflix, if you're listening, Adina has a great idea for you for a new v- yeah. a new twelve part animated series. There we but, go. Hey, my project, but I wanna... my final Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, so just dropping in the film school thing. So I I Yes. I got in, so I'm very excited. Fantastic. Final project is one of the final projects is to script a pilot. So I'm like, hey, you never know. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Okay. So, cool. Cool. So one thing I want to say though is not that I, you know, obviously I'm not Andy Weir, so I can't speak for him. But again, as right. yeah. re- like I mentioned earlier in the show today, you know, when I was reading the book and knowing that the film was coming out, you know, in a few months, and having that thought of like, man, they're they're not getting all the detail. In. So what is going to be in and what's going to be out? And again, no matter no matter what, it's not all going in the movie. And mm-hmm. but so and, and then as a you know viewer of the movie, I, I think there's you know, I think I would have liked to see some more of the Pathfinder stuff um, that they mm-hmm. put in. But but I thought it came out well and yeah. I compare it to my thoughts on, you know, so another book to movie conversion, um, Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw an interview with Ernest Klein, who wrote the book. And, and and I had a similar thing where I read the book before the movie came out. The difference there is, so the interview I saw with him, he said he was pretty happy with the final script and how it came out. And I think he was actively involved in it. I don't, and, okay. and things, but in that case, the movie was a very, 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 very different experience from the book. Like they changed, like, it was significantly altered in the way of, you know, in the book, all like the video games and the pop culture references are from our real life, 1970s, 1980s. In the movie, it was a little bit more genericized or later on. And they they de- deliberately did that to appeal to a younger audience, like my son's age audience, who doesn't, mm-hmm. who didn't live with Zork and, right. you know, all the, you know, all those 1970s, you know, like, and and so Ernest Klein was happy with it. And in that case, I get why they made that decision. It was probably the right decision. But I was, as a fan, I was really disappointed because I really wanted to see all of my favorite 1970s stuff and 80s stuff on the big screen. Okay. <laughs> there was a Star Trek, the motion picture poster or reference to it. Which was just mm-hmm. like, whoa, that blew me away. So I'm like, wait, you're not referencing the Wrath of Conch going motion picture? I'm like, that's mm-hmm. a deep cut. 
I'm in, but yeah. Um, well, all throughout the book, the book is littered. In fact, it's almost integral to the story is John Hughes movies. That's cool. But no one under the age of like what thirty five, yeah, maybe, know knows any of them. Like really, mm-hmm. I don't. I find that 30. hard to believe. I mean, like I'm thirty. Oh, my son knows. Like, I know he knows none. Not a single like one. Breakfast Club. I feel like that always seems to yeah. permeate. Permeate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even in Family Guy, there's like mm-hmm. the. Yeah. But like, those are weird. just like a little snippet from that film that everyone knows about the fist up and the whole thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. the fist up. But I feel I like. I, I'm so curious about that now because I feel like that's got to be somewhat yeah. relevant. I mean, it's John Hughes movies, and All right. well, but, but, in, but in the oh, yeah, in, we're in a different. I know, I know, I know. Again. But, well, ho- yes. hopefully, hopefully, Andy <laughs> is listening to this podcast. Andy, if you're listening to the podcast, please, we'd like to have you on the show. We'd like to talk to you about what yeah. you thought about the transition from your book to the script. And, and I'm going to oh, go ahead. I was going to say one more thing to our sure. listeners about Andy Weir is. One of when I'm not listening to the big sci-fi podcast, one of the podcasts I do listen to is Planetary Radio, which mm-hmm. is put on by the Planetary Society. And um, from December, recent December, there was near the end of December, there was an episode where Andy Weir was a guest. And that was a great episode. And highly mm-hmm. re- it was Andy Weir plus one of uh, JPL guy, one of the JPL mm-hmm. guys who are involved in these. And the two of them playing off of each other in that episode was was a lot of fun. It was a little bit less. Um, most of the planetary radio episodes are a little bit more serious. This mm-hmm. was great. It was a great episode. Highly recommend the podcast okay. in general and that episode in particular. So, right. do we need to contact the podcast as well and see if someone from that show wants to guest? Well, right. here here's the thing. So, Matt Kaplan, who was the voice of planetary radio for uh, since it started, like. 12, 15, I don't know how many years ago, he is now passing the reins on to a new, he's retiring from that. And I think as of like this, this week, um, it'll be a new voice. So maybe now that he's not doing that, he'll come talk to us. Please. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's that'd be cool. Feelers, let's do feelers folks. So put them out there. All right. Let's move on to something that's important to Brian. The oh. soundtrack for each film. Yes. Which one did you like best? Or at least, or whatever. How, what, how, and I'm going to ask you from a musical point of view. And if yeah. you hear the music, what what did you think? I, it, how did it, how did how did it move the story along? Right. I th- I think The Martian is far superior. I, f- I felt like in in Robinson and Caruso, mm-hmm. uh, there were kind of in it wasn't they were all over the place with what it sounded like. So I mm-hmm. I I just felt the martian hands down um you know because sometimes these these old films have really wonderful soundtracks mm-hmm. um and very interesting or different i just i've i was not impressed with robinson crusoe on mars um okay so if if we're comparing the martian hands down okay um chris or Dean, any thoughts on that uh, no. i'd agree just because <laughs> There was a Again, lot of there was a lot of dead space in Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, too. yeah, that might have contributed to why it felt so slow. Okay, and okay. It, and it's hard. So I was going to say this is where it gets into Martian twenty fifteen, Robinson Crusoe nineteen sixty four. But even though even saying that, it's like I look at something like again Star Trek because it's what we do. Everything goes mm-hmm. back to Trek. Yep, yep. yes, sir, it does. Like, um, like even if you take out the main theme <laughs> of Trek. And you just go like, hey, there's a reaction like that, da 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 da, 
there's like all these like moments where people react and it's like, oh, there's a really intense sound cue mm-hmm. or some musical cue, which I don't feel like they really did that with with uh, Caruso. Eh, I, I don't know. It mm-hmm. Overall, it was just a harder movie for me to enjoy. But I think The Martian, again, it had all the qualities of like it was a modern movie. So it had a modern soundtrack, which I enjoyed yeah. more. That being okay. said, I can't think of like I watched. What did, when did I watch it? I watched it on Sunday. Or no, Monday night, and mm-hmm. I, I can't think of the soundtrack right, right now. Yeah, exa- exactly my point. I, I, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, but even for Martian, though, I, I can't think of what the soundtrack was. Looking mm-hmm. back, I'm like, I can't think of what the what was an amazing score or okay. amazing right. part of the score. Okay. Well, shout out to the composer from The Martian, Harry Gregson Williams. He's a very good composer. Mm-hmm. He really is. Um, I suffered PTSD from the soundtrack of the Martian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I went to the World's Fair in 1974 and I drove up there with my friend Dean Wilkerson and he purposely knew how much I despised ABBA. He hid Waterloo on the side of every one of the cassette tapes he recorded <laughs> music on so that we would be driving along and all of a sudden boom that would be on there. So when when Mark is driving the rover and he crests the hill and they go into the music from Waterloo, I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I had PTSD and oh, that was like, whoa, too much. So when he says the <laughs> line to the mission commander, you have terrible choice in music, I agreed with him 100%. Horrible. I'm sorry. But I, again, I, I grew up in the 70s. I listened to that music. It's Oh. It's nostalgic now, but if you really want to despise ABBA, then you have to have it sung in the original style of <laughs> Pierce Bronson from uh, Bronson from uh, Mamma Mia. Right, right. I I disagree <laughs> with you a hundred percent on that. I love ABBA. I love Mamma oh. Mia. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm down anytime someone wants to sing Waterloo. I'm in. I had two for work a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic. I had to learn the dance to uh, Dancing Queen oh, that we, we were all going to do at our staff meeting, which I, it was fun to do at the time. And I uh-huh. love the music, but man, <laughs> having to do those rehearsals every day was kind of annoying. But yeah, right. big supporter of ABBA. I love Hall and Oates, so my, <laughs> my taste of music, maybe not great, but I was, you, I you loved didn't, the ABBA you stuff. Didn't, you didn't live through that. You weren't. You, 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 know like, how, you can look back and nostalgically going, oh, it's so cute, the music. <laughs> you know how much I wish I grew up in the 80s? Or like, when when was ABBA? When did, 70s, was that like late? The 70s, yeah, okay. sir. <laughs> yeah. you, your argument is now null time. and void. You didn't even know what era it was in. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Understood. Okay. I'm just kidding. All right. It's, it's well, okay that will... you're an ABBA fan. And I, and I will say thank you. The, I'm glad I have your permission, which I actually didn't right. need. A little bit of snark, by the way. <laughs> and I'm uh, just having to go, uh, everybody. But then for okay, me, Kelly's back the, on Spicy Chris now, and I'll be serious. Okay. Well, for me, because I grew up with the movie, I've always loved the music from the Mar- uh, Mars Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's just always stuck with me because it, you know. But then again, I, you know, I I've been watching this movie. Since like it always has very positive feelings for me, so you know. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. So so now we get to the final thing, which is the conclusions of both films. Were you happy with it? Were you unhappy with it? Were you 
fine with the way that they solve their final problems to get where they are. What do you think? Martian, for the most part, very happy with it. I love how he was able to solve mm -hmm. the problem. I love that uh, the whole subplot of uh, Sean Bean being like, oh, you know, I actually sent them the email that showed, gave them the choice. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, we as a team, we have to decide right now. Do we want to go and try and save Mark and spend mm -hmm. more time in space? I loved all that stuff. I love his um, that moment of him being on the bench with his Starbucks drinking coffee and then doing his first mm -hmm. lecture. I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. My gripe, as I said earlier, was just I would have liked to have seen more of how is he coping with everything. And if I'm being really greedy, I'd love to see how was the other family, like not the other family members, but how did the other crew cope with, like how did they respond or how did their family respond to them? God, like there's that whole work. thing where it's like, yeah, we got to go save Mark, but like some of them were parents, mm -hmm. and that means you're what you're going to have to add another three years on to being away and not being home. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to see like how do how do the family members react to that? So I think overall I liked it. I just would have liked. I again I always go back to I would have liked my home episode where maybe like it is for a TV show. I'd love to see the episode after he gets back and be like, mm -hmm. how is he adjusting to? everyday life what happened to yeah. sean bean's character um, he, he was he played he becomes yeah, he a golf instructor because he was told you you have to give me your letter of resignation at the end of this mission you know he was told by the director of nasa but do we see this, him as the golf instructor i don't remember yes, yes it's oh, at the very okay. end of the film they just kind of recap very quickly when they're when the aries 5 mission is being launched and they recap what each one of the characters end up doing, whereas the two astronauts that kiss each other or through the face shield, they end up getting married. They have a baby. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, right, so they, yeah. they kind of recap a little lightly as to a year later or five years later. You know, yeah, I think it's five years later that they finally get to the next mission. Um, Adina, what did you think about how they solved their final problem of getting Mark back on board the main spacecraft. So I think The Martian was great, but I think everyone should read the book. The book is, I mean, the movie was cool. The movie was really, I, I mm -hmm. really enjoyed the movie, but I think you can get so much more out of the detail in the book. And so mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend it. If you like the movie, I feel like you'll like the book like five times more. Yeah. Um, and now that said, it really, it doesn't, do anything like after it is actually the whole thing and the whole rescue and it it kind of ends there um but mm. uh i think which, the way but the way it ended i th thought it was a i thought it was really really good yeah. so i was i was very I was very happy with it all okay um when i watched it on the martian it was on prime tick or prime video and they always have like trivia things about the movie mm -hmm. a little this and that and one of the things that come up was that the ability for him to puncture his suit <laughs> and fly like Iron Man is absolutely impossible because he could never correct his vector yeah, that's... properly mm -hmm. to get be able to do that. And then I also it's funny when when he finally is caught by the mission commander and they get all tangled up in the in the rope and he's being pulled in, all of a sudden there's no more gas coming out of his fingertip. But it would continue to expel oxygen out of that fingertip unless he was some way of him mm -hmm. being able to seal it quickly so th th they bring that up as a trivia going that mm -hmm. could not happen but it's okay because it was dramatic 
Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. it's not accurate, but mm -hmm. it was dramatic and it was good. And that made this his his survival even that much more appreciative so, when he gets mm -hmm. back on. So the, as I say in the book, they do it. It's different in the book. So that 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 detail um, is a little different and definitely way more realistic in the book. Mm hmm. Yeah, okay, that's good to know. But again, that's but, where that's where the scriptwriter mm -hmm. takes some liberties from the book to make it a little more visible for a movie for mm -hmm. people to like it and to yeah. be appreciative of that. Um, and then, but, you know, again, I love Robinson Crusoe on Mars, but the ending is like, wait a minute, you know, everything, you know, the, they're walking along the side of the cliffs of the the canals. We now know that's not correct. There's there's lava flows. We know that's not corrected. He gets to the polar ice cap. It's now um, Wisconsin in the middle of the winter time. Mm -hmm. Not correct again. <laughs> the fact that a fireball goes off and it's melting the polar ice caps, not possible. But but for me as a kid watching that movie, and when he hears the voice of someone outside. He knows he's going to be okay, and the movie ends that way. Yeah. So yeah, there was I it, the, the Martian is much more detailed about how they make his rescue, and it's still dramatic. You know, blowing the front of the spaceship off so they could slow down and all that, all good drama, good excitement. Yeah. And, it's a, yeah. and it's a it's a testament to good filmmaking, good special effects, good acting. Mm -hmm. Everything coming together to make us as viewers suspend our disbelief mm -hmm. um, willingly. And yeah. I love, Steve, that you've got such nostalgia. It is. Good it memories is. behind uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Because, I mean, we all have movies like that, right? Where mm -hmm. it's like, man, they, who cares what cheese might be in it or what they got wrong if it's how you felt when mm -hmm. you watched it mm -hmm. originally in the power of film that can affect you and um you know yeah i do want to yeah, bring go ahead. one more tidbit up about robinson sure. Crusoe on mars that hopefully like this is this is i'm kind of surprised that no one else picked up on this one so especially Ooh. when we were talking about that uh victor Lud london mm -hmm. looked familiar we saw him in star trek he was he has the honor of being apparently the first Klingon to appear on screen in the episode Errand of Mercy. I'll be gosh darn. Okay. Well, there you so, go. I'll, now, my little confession, I happened to learn that like in the last five minutes while I was like Googling <laughs> some stuff while we were talking. <laughs> well. But what about the what about the phaser uh, sound effect? Anybody catch that? Well, that's, 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 oh, yes, yes, yes. Like yes, Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the sound. Okay. And yeah. believe it or not, the the spacecraft that was used, the the uh, alien spacecraft in um, Robinson Crusoe Mars, was reused Martian war machines from his film you know, War of the Worlds. I thought I thought Steve, I, I didn't put two and two together, but I thought yep. I have seen these this design yep. somewhere, and I just you know maybe just similar. That's interesting. Yeah, the, he he used his old uh, prop from War of the Worlds. I'll be darned. For the alien spacecraft and that, so um, I I I put this last question um between the two movies, which one could you watch over and over again? I think I already know. I think you've already answer. answered that. <laughs> yeah, I think I got the answer for for each one of you, which is definitely going to be the Martian. I know hands down, 
for me, it's both because I just, I just, again, I have such affinity and love for Robinson Crusoe on Mars. But when the Martian came out, I thought, wow, they're going back to the same kind of a story, but mm -hmm. bring it up to date. And I thought mm -hmm. that was great. And I, and I, again, I saw the movie before I read the book and then I read the book afterwards and that just made things even better. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a, there's a line in the film where he's sending the first messages back and they say, Hey, please watch your language <laughs> because the whole world is seeing it. And so he types on the computer screen, the emoji for boobies. And I thought that it's in the book and I thought that was great. So when he said, Hey, watch what you're typing. That was the key into that, that he was uh, he knew he was on the world stage and he could say whatever he darn pleased. And I always <laughs> like that about that. That's really. And and you have to read the book because the opening paragraph is the greatest paragraph in the history of writing. Just what he has to say <laughs> about himself and how he is stuck on Mars. Uh. Oh, without, you know, so I pretty much know hands down. We all. <laughs> Love yeah. the Martian. Honestly, period. well, I mean, I love the Martian, but <laughs> this was nostalgia watching it. To, and I watched this film, uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. So I would have preferred to do that. I just didn't have the luxury of doing that on my big screen TV. Right. right. Maybe that would have affected some of my thoughts about the film differently, too, because that is a different, you know, you, you, Steve, again, had you saw it on the big screen as a kid. Yeah, I, I mean that it that is in that made it makes an impression. The big screen is different than watching it on, you know. Um, but as, right. I think especially for these older sci-fi films, right? And um, especially when know. you're a kid too, because yeah. I, I feel like that was yeah. well, going to the movies now is not necessarily a special event, but I feel back in the day, and so even when I was a kid, it was rare. We it was yeah. rare yeah. to go to a movie to go to yeah. a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the stars again, had to align. <laughs> yeah, and again, we, you know, we always run things through the filter of time. You know, mm -hmm. and and we go back to our beloved Star Trek, and we look at the original seventy nine episodes and what their technology was and how they handled. I mean, they land on you know first thing you do is like, okay, we're going to go beam down to the planet. Do they check the air quality? Do they know they it never was safe? Do. They never did that stuff. It really wasn't until Enterprise where the idea of coming back up and you go into a decontamination chamber before you're oh, able yeah. to enter the rest of spacecraft because what was going to be, what would you going to find on other planets? Well, that's more in line with when Neil Armstrong got back from the moon, they spent many days in the, decontam in the decontamination trailer because they were afraid that they might have brought back some bacteria from yeah. the moon. I not knowing what's going to contaminate the earth. The decon chamber, fantastic idea. The jail, that is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Uh, the decon, <laughs> let's get, let's get, I just uh, heard, uh, ah, did I hear it or, or read it? But talking about the decon chamber on Enterprise, um, which I think was fantastic, Chris, mm -hmm. but a little contrived with how they used it often. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, come on. Right, exactly. Yep. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come yes, on, guys. I, well, if you listen to the audio commentary of the first episode or the first, yeah, the first episode of Enterprise, um, I think Brandon Braga or one of them says something like, you know, if we had known um, about the way that we had to Paul wearing the, the uh, top in that 
decon chamber <laughs> and then knew about the trouble that uh, uh, Janet Jackson got in with the uh, wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> uh, we might not have gotten away with that from the censors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, also, and I'm curious, Chris, we need to be real quick because Steve's probably got yeah. a, a fabulous yeah, well, close to our thing. But mm -hmm. with the Enterprise, you mentioned the jail being an issue on board the Enterprise. Uh, on the Enterprise? On the on, on the show Enterprise, yeah, on the Enterprise. Is that what you were oh, referring to? You mean in this episode? Any episode. Uh, any episode. Uh, we, no, you, you just you said did. something. Oh. You said about the decon chamber and the, and the prison. And the oh, I was just saying about prison in general. Like if I'm like, because... If I'm watching a show and they like, oh, they got to go off to like the bad guys being sentenced to life. And then or if I'm watching a prison show and it's like, well, you got to go to isolation now or oh, something. Yeah. Gotcha. And I was okay, just like gotcha, going gotcha. down uh, that gotcha. road. The prison on Enterprise, I have no issue with. Okay. The um, break. Because like. The break. Yeah, the yeah. break. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. Well, they did it. Okay. They had a brig on next if, gen. If we, they had a brig on we, space They have brigs oh, yeah, on I mean, military ships. That's Odo thing. was yeah. like, oh, yeah, the brig I have no issue with. I, I do wonder about Paris and like, was he able to shower in between that or did he just have to have one long shower? That is the question. After his whole thing. But um, I was just referring to like real prisons, not, not mm. like gotcha. a okay. brig. Gotcha. Where, all right. Um, All right. Well, I don't know where I was going we, with any of that. Thanks. Thanks for the <laughs> clarification, though. That helps okay. me personally. Thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I no, no issue with the brakes. It's just more. My only concern with the brakes is how often they fail in track. That that's right? would be the, the <laughs> how easy they are to break out of. Yeah. Et cetera. Et cetera. It's always easy to to malfunction and shut off the force field. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we're I think we're done here. So I'm going to close by saying this: <laughs> as a child, seeing Robinson Crusoe on Mars, I have the same feeling today that it was a great movie with some terrible flaws that we have to overlook in our modern times. I still that the sense of sadness over Kip's dealing with his loneliness is profound, and the happiness when he hears at the end of the movie mm -hmm. his rescuers say. A voice from Mars. It still makes me smile. As for the Martian, it ramped up the technology and science that makes it a very accurate depiction of how someone with the right knowledge and tools can survive for over for many years on Mars. And I love how the first Mars rover is the machine that saves him. Ingenuity is the word that best describes the positive feeling that the Martian leaves the viewer with. And the book has the best opening paragraph, as I said, I have ever read. Mm. And so we come to the end of another thrilling recording of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. I hope our listeners will seek out both of these movies. They are available to rent, as opposed to me as a child, hoping to see Robinson Crusoe on Mars on late night TV. As always, we love to see your, feed, uh, see your feedback on this episode or any of other prior episodes post your thoughts and comments on our facebook page on instagram or write to us at the big sci-fi podcast at gmail.com we do these podcasts as a way to discuss the great films and tv shows that make up the world of the wonderful world of sci-fi we hope it entertains you and if you have any ideas for subjects please share them with us as I always do, I leave you with these parting words. Look to the sky. 